Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Harvest Belante shares a story about how change is difficult and nobody has it perfect on either side of the fence. I have been up on this stage before, um, and as I was thinking about sort of the stories that I've shared here, uh, I started to think about two very different harvests that have been presented over the last year. And so on the one end, we have the high school awkward harvest, utterly despondent at the fact that she realizes your weird is not in fact the right way to respond to I love you. Uh, then we get on the other side of the spectrum where I'm up here telling you guys cautionary tales about flying to Florida for a one-night stand and what to do when you feel like you have actually dated everyone in an entire state. And so I realized that I've kind of presented two different sides of me to you all. And for those of you that are regulars, which I know we do have some regulars in here, you might be wondering sort of, okay, how, how did we get from here to here. What's missing in between? So I realize that when I get on this stage, I'm always very keen to talk to you all about my mind and my soul, but I have not really shared anything with you as far as the the tangible constant that connects those two, my body. So tonight we are going to talk about rebirth. I am born a combination of Southern and Northern Italian blood, which, you know, you probably can tell from looking at me, and uh, that's on both sides of the family. So we've got, um, I inherited my mother's personality and my father's body type. That's fine, um, except that my father and that whole side of the family kind of disappeared when everybody got divorced when I was 10. So what that meant to me growing up was that I was raised with a group of people that really had no idea. They were all these kind of petite, small, pale, uh, small-featured <laughs> northern Italianers who would never know what it was like to live with my body or its limitations. And I began putting on weight probably about the age of seven. Part of that certainly, a big part of it was genetic, but another big part of that was the fact that I was a rather sickly kid. I was on, uh, I had asthma, I had allergies, I was on all sorts of medications. So um, steroids that would spin my appetite out of control. And then I was never getting enough sleep because I was on Sudafed, which was a stimulant that kept you up at night, as well as antihistamines that ensured that if I did fall asleep, more likely than not, I would wake up in a nice pool of blood because you would get your sinuses so dry that it would cause your nose to bleed. And then it would take me an hour to get that to stop. And so very quickly, very early on, we started shopping at the Pretty Plus section of Sears. Now, I don't know if any of you, you know, might dispel any preconceived notions you have, but the Pretty Plus section of Sears actually did not carry in their inventory the really cool guest jeans that had the ankle zip. Like, at the time, that was the really cool style that, that my friends were all rocking. This is certainly older than many of you in the audience, but <laughs> back then, that was what was in. And so I was realizing very quickly that... I occupied kind of a different physical category than my counterparts, but I didn't necessarily know the why or the how. 
So it continued. And, you know, the interesting thing is I actually look back at pictures of myself in high school and middle school. And to be honest, I, I was by no means hideous. I kind of hovered between a size 12 to 16, which is nowadays what we consider average. Um, but the perception was there, and I think a lot of that had to do with just my obsession with movies. I have always been a film fanatic, and to me, it was very clear. Romance, sex, those things exist between two mutually attractive and thin people. So whether it be subconscious or consciously, I latched on to another type of movie, uh, the romantic comedy, specifically the ugly duckling trope. And I decided that that was going to be sort of my circuitous path to love. That was going to ensure that if I could cultivate male friendships and turn them into relationships, you know, and just get, basically just get someone to kind of get past everything, get, get around the outside and love you despite of everything else, then, that was the way that romance happened. And so I definitely tried to execute this plan. Um, in high school, I, I loved Mark. In college, I loved John, a, a housemate and friend of mine. As part of my plan, John was in the JROTC program. JROTC was running our um, Cal's Family Fest day. They were running the repelling activity down Wheeler Hall. So I reasoned that if I showed up and repelled down Wheeler Hall, then John would be so impressed with my physical prowess and bravery that he would be in love by nightfall, which is a good, it's a good plan, right? So I showed up, I started climbing the snake ladder, um, got up to the ledge of Wheeler Hall. Now, it's probably a good idea for me to kind of let you guys know that I'm also terrified of heights. I have on more than one occasion, really, taken both the Greyhound bus and the Amtrak from one end of the country to the other just to avoid getting in an airplane. So it should come to no one as a surprise that when I got up onto the ledge and I looked down at all the smiling faces, John's included, I froze. I was like, I'm not going down here, not going to happen. And I stood there for probably about 20 minutes, but it felt closer to three hours. And it wasn't until um, one of the older ROTC gentlemen finally came up to me and very gruffly said, okay, look, so these windows behind you, they're just for show. They don't open. You're getting down here one way or the other. You're either going back down the snake ladder, which looked terrifying at this point, or you are repelling down with the rope, and it's much faster, but we need to get this line moving again. So I would like you all to imagine, kind of, if you will, like a a slug sort of slowly being lowered down the side of a building via a rope. And, and that, you can get that mental image, that is what my repelling for love looked like. Um, so, yeah, damn, but damn it, I set, I set my feet on the ground and I survived and I was very proud of myself and I decided I would go home and start making a celebratory dinner for all of my housemates to enjoy, including John. That's about the time that Heidi came up to me and said, you know, Harvest, um, John's, John's actually out with Tanya for the night. Tanya? That, 
that doesn't make any sense. Tanya, you mean, you mean the girl that wears like the short skirts and the, the knee-high boots and she rides her bike like that so impractically? That Tanya? I, I don't understand the attraction because I am John's noble friend. I'm the one that addresses all of his Christmas cards because his printing is messy. And I take his dog for walks. And these are the foundations, of course, of real love. So. I just didn't get it at the time. I didn't understand that obviously you cannot manufacture physical attraction. And again, while I was by no means a mutant, uh, there is nothing less attractive than a person who does not know their own value or their own worth. So this is the way that a lot of my relationships were looking. I went to grad school. In grad school, I loved Ryan. Now, Ryan was another roommate. We're starting to see a pattern here. Um, I was, uh, he was a little different because he would actually get drunk and make out with me by night, but then by day he would feign selective amnesia so that we could kind of carry on with our daily interactions. It was a very confusing time for me. I also had a heavy course load. We were taking classes at night, and it was common practice for all of us after we got out of class to go out to the bars, to the restaurants, have pizza, have burgers, have beers. That's a bad routine for anyone to get into, but for me, with my metabolism, it is utterly devastating. And very rapidly, during this time of my life, I began to put on weight so fast that I, I did not even see it coming. And we had an award show come up, and a few of us were being honored. We got to have dinner with Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen um, before the award show. And I felt good. I was wearing this like hot red dress that I had picked out, and I was very excited. And Mary even complimented me in my dress. So I felt good. But what I was most excited about was going home and knowing that when I got pictures developed, because yes, we used to develop pictures back then, that I would get this one photograph back. And I was looking forward to it because it was a picture of myself and I had both of my male roommates, one of whom I was in love with, on either side of me. And I just knew that in my hot red dress with these guys, I was going to put that photo on the wall and that would be the one that I would just probably stare at endlessly. When I got that photo back, I saw it, and for the first time in my life, I did not recognize who was staring back at me, and I was aghast. I actually felt like I was dwarfing the two men who were on either side of me, and so I, I made a decision right then and there. Um, the first intelligent thing that I did was to get the fuck out of my living situation. So um, when Kelly, my friend with the dying cat and the annoying pet bird Taj, needed a roommate, I was like, this is non-romantic roommate gold right here. That sounds good. Sign me up. And so we got a place. Um, the condo that we moved into happened to be right across the street from a Weight Watchers center. At this time of my life, I personally, maybe some of you were watching a lot of Sex in the City, and there is an episode, if you recall, when Miranda is told point blank that if she wants to lose the weight, Weight Watchers is the only way to go. And that kind of resonated with me. I thought that if Weight Watchers was good enough for Miranda, it would be good enough for me. So I went to my first meeting. 
Walked in, paid my money, got all my brochures and pamphlets back, and then you just kind of, you, you get in a line and you wait to go back. Now, a lot of times I see it portrayed in television and movies that there's a big open field of scales where people are just shouting your weight out. That has never been my experience. I doubt they would be very successful if they did that, but you wait and you go back and there's a little private partition, and I met my leader, Sharon, this very nice, bubbly lady in her 30s, she asked me to stick around for the meeting and to then wait for a few minutes after so she could explain the program. I did. Lots of good positive reinforcement at the meeting, some good cooking tips, some shopping tips. And when Sharon came up to me afterwards, she asked me one simple question. She said, why Weight Watchers? Now, I looked at Sharon, and of course, you have to remember where I was at this time in my life. I was in my 20s. I had bungled every single male potential relationship I had up to that point. So, uh, quite honestly, sex is always my favorite motivator. I, I think it's the best one. But I felt that it was a little tacky to say to the well-intentioned Sharon, you know, Sharon, I just need some sexual conquests to be available to me, and I figured a kick-ass body was the place to start. That, that didn't quite seem, uh, seem good enough. So instead, I just said to her, you know, Sharon, I, I simply want to be able to walk into a store and pick something up off the rack for once in my life without trying it on and take it home and just know that it would fit. And that was enough for me. I started on the program. Um, it's a... It's a pretty simple program to get the hang of. You had your daily points allowance. This was back in the day, but I'm sure it's still similar. Um, you had, which are basically your calories, and then you had lots of different foods that you would look up to see how you wanted to spend those points. Um, you very quickly realized that you can have pizza and burger and beer, but it's probably going to cost the majority of your points, so you're going to be eating baby spinach the rest of the day. So you kind of start engaging your brain, actively thinking about what you're going to eat. It is a game of tricks and trades and getting the most bang for your buck. And that made a lot of sense to me. And it sucks. A lot of people don't have to think about it. Obviously, I grew up with people who never had to think about it, who could have a bad day or the holidays and just kind of gorge themselves on whatever they wanted. And I was very jealous of that behavior, but that was never me and it will never be me. Um, I got the basics down. I know that I will always need more fiber and protein in my diet. I will always need less sugar in my diet. And if I am craving a coffee, I can go out and get a coffee but not a Frappuccino, because that's a fucking milkshake, and we all know it, <laughs> okay? So, um, in that year, I set about to create probably the optimum circumstances I could for losing weight, and I, sadly, I don't know that I'll ever be able to recreate them. Um, I was a substitute teacher by day, which meant I could set my own schedule, leave Thursday mornings free for my meetings. Um, I was done every day at three, which meant I could meal plan. Um, I could go walking. That was one thing I decided to do simply because I had always been a sickly kid. So I was like, I'm going to start training to walk a half marathon. And during that year, with blinders on and complete, utter fixation on only one goal, I stood in front of Sharon and my group a year later, and I had lost 85 pounds. And I know, <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes, and I was a hot little number, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so... Um, 
I was proud, I was very excited, and I had absolutely no fucking clue of what that meant for the rest of my life, because here's what I learned. Rebirth is hard. When you want something, and you really want something, and it's all that you focus on, a lot of times you don't give much thought to what happens next. And for me personally, I truly thought, you know, when I become thin, life will be blissful. And don't get me wrong, I have existed on every part of the spectrum in our society. It is always better to be thin, but it's not perfect. And rebirth is hard. As a lot of people have alluded to earlier in here, it is birth and it is growth and it is life without the benefit of the toddler years where you usually have someone who is spoon feeding you and wiping your bum and trying to help you get your feet under you. You are just suddenly out there. Uh, if you go through a physical transformation, much like myself, it's amazing how short the memory span was of people I knew that, that forgot I ever looked different. And, um, Life started to change for me very rapidly. I would go to restaurants and I was getting sketches drawn of me put into the bill from the waiters. I had men crossing streets to talk to me. Hell, I had women crossing streets to talk to me. I basically stopped having to pay for alcohol at bars. Um, in short, I was finally getting to be live the life objectified for my body and it was kind of great. Um, I thought I was a cast member of Sex in the City for a while. However, <laughs> rebirth is hard. And along the same lines, my friend, uh, my best friend started to lash out at me when we would go out. And because she didn't like the way that I was being treated now. Um, you know, all those formative years that I talked to you about that I sort of missed out on. Yeah, my brain had not actually caught up to my body it never had the chance. So all of a sudden, I had all these physical and romantic relationships, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And luckily, maybe I, I've watched movies so I could kind of fake it and act like I knew what I was doing. But really, you know, the sad thing is, um, I regret to this day that the very first man that I ever got physical with still didn't ever find out that he was the first man because in my mindset, I thought that if I told him and he asked why, then he would realize that I was not a true thin person and therefore could become a fat person again, and he would dump me. And when I say that out loud to you guys, I realize how fucked up and absolutely damaged and severe that manner of thinking was, but that was where my mind was back then, because rebirth is hard. So kind of the silver lining to all this is that age helps. Uh, it certainly helped me. Uh, I have a friend whose mom used to say that you can't put an old head on young shoulders. And I really like that. It, it's true. You, I learned to kind of mature and realize that I needed to ride the waves of my successes and failures and not live or die by them. I started to be able, of course, to decipher when people were actually interested in me versus anything else. But it took time and it's not easy. And when I was thinking about this topic so close to New Year's Eve, and I know that's probably why it was chosen as the topic for tonight, 
I thought, you know, many people are making New Year's resolutions and they are putting goals out there and they are setting goals for themselves and perhaps embarking on a rebirth of their own. And of course, statistics show that very rarely will these be achieved. I think for me personally, you know, it, it takes just a moment of clarity when you actually decide that you just have to beat whatever it is that you have to beat. Obviously for me, that moment was seeing that picture. For everyone else, it's, it's going to be something different. But I hope that you guys take away from this that if you do have friends or family members or anyone that is going through anything like this or trying to achieve a goal, even if it looks perfect and it looks great on the outside, remember that there's still a lot of struggle and a lot of growth that has to take place on the inside. And those people need your support. Um, they need your sympathy. They need your empathy. Um, very rarely, maybe once in a great while, if they have had a really bad day and they really need it, you can also take them out for a frappuccino. Thank you very much. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just come out and see the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission information, contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.